Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hung. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. On today's episode, we'll be doing another edition of Buy or Sell, where we discuss the hottest health IT topics and decide who's buying and who's selling, and we'll fight over who's right. <laughs> and be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 15 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. So are you buying this podcast or are you selling it, Colin? <laughs> I am definitely going to be buying this podcast at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, this episode is actually, I love this. Uh, you know, I steal it from sports radio, but it's just fun to, a fun way to talk about unique topics. So we've got a good potpourri of topics today. Yeah, that allows us to cover a lot of different, uh, it's our excuse uh, and, and way to cover a lot of different topics, right? So yep. I'm looking forward to it. So let's get started. John, I've got one for you. So will we reach 80% vaccination by July 2021 in the US? Ooh, it's, you know, I mean, the, it's interesting. We're seeing some fascinating things happening in this space. I want to say yes, and I don't know if that's my heart saying yes <laughs> or, or if it's something else. But, you know, you see trends like in California, I think it was San Francisco, if I remember right, where they're actually vaccinating less people per day. And the question is why? And I haven't seen the answer for why. So that's concerning to me. But the fact that we're doing 2 million a day is pretty compelling. And, you know, they just bought a bunch more vaccinations. I think it was from uh, Pfizer, you know, and obviously we record this weeks in advance. So, you know, when it airs, it may be later, but I'm going to say, yes, I'm buying it. There's nothing stopping us. They got the right people that are going to push, you know, whatever they need to, to make it happen. So I'm saying, yes, we'll be there. I am, I am giving this one a buy as well, but with a caveat of, I think it's going to be very messy. Yeah, <laughs> There's going to be a lot funny. of mess between now and July. Um, I can't wait for, you know, I can't wait, but I suspect we're going to hear a lot more stories about spoilage and vaccines going to waste. The good news is there's a lot more vaccines on the market now that are going to be improved and, and there'll be much more availability. So that won't be such a big deal. Um, yeah, so. the other thing that concerns me is 80% means that, a lot of people changed their mind and decided to get it. Cause you know, I think we're at the 15 to 20% of people who are like, I'm never getting it. Right. And then there's a certain percentage that are like on the fence. So that, you know, there needs to be some public health initiative to educate uh, some people and, and sway their minds. So yeah, that's the only tentative fear I have of buying it, but I'm still doing a hopeful buy. We'll, we'll, we'll know we're getting closer to the end of the vaccine rollout when we start to see the public service announcement commercials come out, right, <laughs> around encouraging people to get the vaccine. Because right now, you don't have to because there's plenty of demand. Yeah, I supply. think they're already starting. I think I heard one on the radio the other day. So it's probably, you know, it's good to, you know, start early and often and, and let's make it happen. So here's another one, John. Uh, and this is much more in our realm of health IT. Um, are you going to buy or sell this statement? We will have fewer telehealth visits in 2022 than we did this year in 2021. Yeah, so this one's interesting. 
because you have to look at it and say, okay, how is 2021 going to be? I think 2021 will be less than 2020, which I think, you know, is for obvious reasons. The shutdowns were so massive in 2020 that it drove a lot of visits. So we're actually going to probably have a down year in 2021. The question then arises, are we going to keep going down in 2022? And my answer is that I am buying this, that we're going to have fewer telehealth visits in 2022 than we had in 2021. While I think we'll flatten off at some point, I think 2021 still has a lot of shutdowns. And I think in 2022, there's going to be a lot more opportunity for people to go to the office. And so given that opportunity and that option, many are going to take it in 2022. Whereas in 2021, they still didn't have a choice or they were scared or they weren't vaccinated or whatever it might have been that drove the telehealth visit. And that's not going to be there in 2022. So I'm predicting that fewer telehealth visits in 2022. Ah, we are very different. I am selling this one. I think in 2022, we will see more telehealth visits than we did this year. Now, I I agree with you that I think this year we're going to be lower than 2020 for sure because of the the pandemic, uh, you know, caused such a a big disruption last year. Now we're sort of reopening and everything. So, um, and I think, you know, not everyone adopted to technology in the end. So I think this year is going to be down. But I think by this by next year in 2022, we're going to actually see the rise of new types of visits. They won't replace the old doctor visits. I think, yes, I agree. People will go back to going to the office for those. But I think there are going to be some new types of visits, especially with the proliferation of remote patient monitoring tools. I think it's very easy now to just hit the button and get a hold of maybe a nurse practitioner or somebody to consult with. So I think we're going to see a rise of that. And so loosely term, I, I look at that as telehealth, Sure. even though it's not an official call it doctor's visit. So I think that, I think also because of mental health and behavior health, that has really been an industry that's taken off with telehealth and I cannot see them declining. I think, and there's a de- going to be way more demand for their services as we all suffer from, you know, and try to recover from the mental uh, health and behavioral health issues that we've all experienced over the last uh, year. So I think actually we're going to see an increase next year. In, in I, I think you're trying to cheat a little bit by including a text message in telehealth because <laughs> if, if text messages telehealth, it's going to grow up. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's amazing what could be done, right? And I they think you're right. There will be new types of visits and visits that are prevented <laughs> because of these text messages or other forms. Uh, but I still think, you know, and I think it's interesting to think what other category of visits are going to happen. But I just don't think it's going to happen quite as much in, you know, as, as we think, you know, so, you know, we'll see how it evolves. The interesting question there is if it does increase, does that mean that's going to raise the cost of healthcare or is it going to drive it down because it's actually visits that wouldn't have happened otherwise that prevent expensive procedures later? How do you think that's going to play out? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I was thinking about that. I, I, I think actually it's going to temporarily inflate healthcare costs. Yeah. But I think it's going to inflate it because more people have access to care who didn't have it before. So I think yeah. the people who are doing the visits, first of all, if you take the mental health um, area, I think sure. for the first time, many people will avail themselves on those services where they never needed it before. Right. So I think yeah. that's going to definitely go up. For sure. But I also think that just the nature of telehealth, um, 
with some access being, you know, in remote areas where they weren't specialists and there weren't those things. I think there we will see an increase in usage and increase in cost because now they can actually get access to it. So I think in a weird way, if we don't look below the number, it's going to look like it inflated it. Yeah. And if you look at number of visits, right, that will definitely feel inflated. That's yeah. a good point. Now, this is all predicated on the assumption, of course, that reimbursement continues to be there, right? Because if that tap gets turned off, then, of course, we're going to see a decline. <laughs> like, if they right. do not reimburse for telehealth visits. like You're adding more caveats? What's this? Hedging just, against it? <laughs> <laughs> this is what, isn't this what normally we, do, we would do on a sports show, right? Like, we all hedge. <laughs> Well, if there's no injuries, they'd be like, they're going to be in first, right? Yeah, yeah. If, let me give you 12 caveats for why I think it's going to go up, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, maybe no, but you're right. If it doesn't, which, you know, to me, that's part of my prediction is that I, I think that they're not going to fully come around on it, especially the private payers. I think Medicare may and the government may, but I think the private payers are going to hedge in the big time on it. And so that's going to cause it to suffer. It's going to take a few more years of really combating against them to say, hey, you need to pay us for these telehealth visits and they're just as good. Right. Right. And I think by then we'll also have the, all the studies that show that yes, telehealth visits actually, you know, are just as effective, if not more so, in, in driving down, you know, people from going yeah. to the ED and so forth. So then they'll hopefully they'll stay on board in terms of reimbursements. Exactly. But studies take two years. So exactly. <laughs> or whatever the length is. We we got the data now though. You're right. So let's check out the next topic. And that is that healthcare organizations are going to be ready for information blocking by April 5th. So, you know, April 5th is the day that it's going in. We'll see, you know, ONC could delay it, but it seems unlikely to me. Uh, you know, so is our healthcare organizations going to be ready for information blocking? <laughs> I am definitely selling on this one because <laughs> I don't think they're going to be ready. I, I think there's a desire to be ready. In, yeah. in some organizations, but in terms of actually being ready, I don't think so. And, and I say that because I think either the technology won't be there, like there may be some areas where they haven't investigated, where they do need to kind of make sure that they have the um, interoperability or the access to the data. But I also think just in terms of the policies and procedures around info blocking, uh, how to handle it when they're accused of one or like yeah. when they, when a I don't think that anybody's really put a lot of effort into that as we continue to battle the pandemic. It's just not a top priority. Yeah. So I, I, I'm definitely selling this one. How about you, John? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's essentially implying that all healthcare organizations are going to be ready. So how could you buy something like that? <laughs> you know, there's just too many. So we have to sell this one, right? They say all healthcare organizations are to be ready. And to just support that, think about meaningful use. There was actual dollars tied to meaningful use and people still weren't ready. <laughs> and yet this information blocking is just the potential risk that someone would find you information blocking and that you may get a penalty. Like that's not a compelling reason for a lot of organizations and the risk just isn't the same if they're on some side piece, not, doing something they should, you know, th there's a lot of ways to hedge against this. In fact, there's eight exceptions they can make and they could kind of, you know, plead ignorance there to some extent. So I think there's going to be some organizations that make a really significant 
effort to try to comply with information blocking and to, to, you know, do everything they can to share data where they should. And then there's going to be the middle ones that do a little half of the work. Their EHR gives them some advice and they say, okay, great. I'll do that. <laughs> and then there's going to be some, that are like, find me. I don't care. And it's sad to say, but you know, I, we had that happen in, in meaningful use. And it just shocked me when a doctor said, fine, penalize me. I don't care. Yeah, it, it, I, I'm agreeing with you in the sense of, I think there's a desire on the most part to comply because I think everyone does agree with the underlying principle of not info blocking, right? Mm -hmm. And I think obviously what we've said is as much as we put the onus on the healthcare organizations, it's also a lot of onus put on the uh, health IT vendors, right? To, yeah. to help ensure that the products can conform and, and are open and, and can do the things that the healthcare organizations need to do. So I think there is a desire to say, yes, we are going to do it. Um, you know, whether or not we can do it by April 5th, uh, you know, I think just given the situation we're in, I don't, I think it's highly doubtful. Now, the interesting, more interesting question would be if the pandemic didn't happen, would we still be having the same answer? So if the pandemic wasn't there and this was, Ooh. this was the major news, right? Like that info blocking was coming in and it's going to be here for April 5th. Uh, there, I think we would still be selling it, but I think it would be a lot closer. I think we'd be more talking about, well, there's probably like 20% people 10% of people who aren't in compliance who never will we're going to be anyway but the majority would have moved their needle uh, to comply with the law yeah someone on twitter today said I'm, I'm kind of sick of these anniversaries you know first day that covid was found at my hospital and the first day that schools were shut down and you know all these anniversaries that we're celebrating and and in this case it's the anniversary of when we were supposed to be at hymns with <laughs> trump on stage talking about information blocking and you know a year later wow i mean i, I don't even know how to think about it like our minds are so changed because of everything that's happened over the last year i can't even imagine how healthcare would have you know responded to information blocking without covid like it's almost hard to process <laughs> <laughs> it is it is hey listen if you're just tuning in you're listening to healthcare it today with john lynn and colin hung we're doing a buy and sell edition of our podcast where we see whether or not we buy into a statement or whether we're going to sell it because we just don't believe it's true. We've talked about vaccinations. We've talked about telehealth and we just finished talking about information blocking, but now we're going to get into one that I'm excited about. And John, I have to ask you this one. Will healthcare continue to be the most targeted for cyber attacks and ransomware? Uh, this is interesting. I mean, anyone that predicts that we're going to have less cyber attacks and ransomware in general, I think is a mistake because they don't understand how bots work because <laughs> all they do is keep spinning up and we have more processing power. We have more bandwidth. We have more attack targets. You know, we, you know do we think there's going to be less devices in healthcare that could be attacked? No. So I think from the perspective of will we continue to be the most targeted? Oh, I mean, so there's other industries that could be targeted, but man, it's hard to say we're not like 
we're definitely going to be the most targeted uh, because of the explosion of devices, especially if you consider now I'm cheating on the, on this, you know, like, but if you consider the personal health devices as part of this and, you know, part of the attacks of healthcare, all these devices we're going to have in the home that are going to be monitoring us, then absolutely we're going to be the most targeted, but I'll make a better prediction for you. I'll predict that in 2022, we're going to have fewer breaches of healthcare organizations than we did in 2021. What do you think about that? Wow, that's, uh, that's pretty bold there, John. You're saying we're going to have less and we're going to have fewer breaches. Now, is that because you're, saying, you're thinking that we'll have taken more steps to prevent those breaches? Yeah, exactly. So we're going to have more attacks, right? Uh, you know, so you know, just so I'm clear, I'm buying this one, but I'm I'm actually saying that even with more attacks, healthcare is going to be better able to prevent those attacks from becoming massive breaches. So I mean, we're still going to have breaches. That's going to happen. I mean, I think that's a feature that we know, but we're going to do a better job of mitigating those breaches when they happen, so it doesn't impact as many people that are getting breached. And I think that most healthcare organizations are finally getting board level support for security that they never had before. So I'm hopeful that we'll see fewer breaches in healthcare in 2022 than 2021. Yeah, I I, I think there's going to be fewer on, on that particular statement, John. I think there's also going to be fewer breaches only because I think breaches are old hat for the, <laughs> for the, for the hackers and for the nefarious folks out there. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that, uh, you know, the in, inadvertent breaches, you know, where people left something open or lost a laptop, or I think you're right. IT departments have gotten the money and the funding, the backing um, to do something about that. So we, we hear less about those types of breaches where the data transfer between one organization and another suddenly ends up in a dumpster, right. Or ends up that sure. doesn't usually happen that much anymore. So I agree. I think those will decline, but I think it's because frankly, there's no money to be made on a breach. There's all this money to be made on a ransomware attack. Mm. Right. So I think this shift is already on. I mean, we're hearing more about ransomware attacks. And I think, you know, to, back to the statement we were talking about originally, I do think that healthcare is going to continue to be the number one targeted um, uh, industry for, for two re- main reasons. One, I think we're most, we're vulnerable. So compared to size versus spend, yeah, uh, you know, I think true. we're still low on the, we're still very, very low in, in, compared to other industries like banking and aero, aero, aerospace and, yeah. you know, the airline industries and stuff. So I think we have a long way to catch up, but also we are one of the very few industries where it is literally a matter of life and death, right? It, the inability to access data if you're in a, in a ransomware attack you know, it could mean the difference between life and death. And so they're most incented to pay, unfortunately, yeah. right? Because um, the other industries, I mean, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, you know, say it's not important, but, you know, so what if you lost a few million dollars, right? There's insurance for that. There's, you know, there's a loss of reputation of customer, fine. You can deal with it, right? Mm-hmm. But if you get shut out of your EHR and you're unable to perform the surgery or you do a wrong site one because you weren't able to access it properly, like, that is not something you recover from. Like that is that. So I think, unfortunately, it is going. We are as healthcare are going to be the number one target for a long time. 
Yeah, technology's helping it though. I mean, even this the ability to restore back quickly from a backup sure. in a ransomware incident and you know those types of things are really coming along that uh, you know I'm I'm hopeful that you know I mean they're still going to happen unfortunately. I mean, they're getting really creative, but you know the technology is going to catch up in many respects to this and uh I think we'll we'll have a better 2022 than 2021. Well, it's interesting that you say that, though, because I, I agree with you. I think the number of attacks are going to stay high, but it's the recovery that I think is going to change. I don't think, I think maybe, I don't know if a shift is on, but I wonder if a shift is on between, okay, we're going to do everything we can to, to pre- prevent a ransomware attack in the first place, but there is really only so much we can do. And so I'm going to invest way more in a quick recovery. So if I do get a ransomware attack, I'm just like, I'm in a backup right away, like, mm-hmm. right, versus versus trying to prevent it is what I'm saying. Like, I think maybe we're now going to be looking at spending more money on that side. So it's interesting you say that because I'd like to keep track of that in 2020. <laughs> It'd be fun to watch. So let's talk about the next one. Uh, will RCM, so revenue cycle management, be the next telehealth because of all the payment and financial challenges caused by COVID? Uh, yeah, I'm going to buy into the statement, John, uh, because I really do believe that healthcare organizations are going to continue to be struggling financially well into 2022 because of all the surgeries and things that were put off by people, uh, people just not being comfortable going in to see their providers. And so there's going to be this huge focus on revenue and doing anything possible to try and drive the revenue and collection of those monies. And so what do you turn? RCM tools. So I think, you know, I don't think we'll see quite the same hockey stick as we saw for telehealth, but I think we will see a growth in RCM technologies and the adoption of better RCM practices by healthcare in 2022 because of what we've seen with COVID. Yeah, this is when you have to really define RCM and depends on how you define it, right? But I'm I'm, I'm selling that it's going to grow like telehealth. Uh, You know, I, I think that there's an interesting thing that happens in a healthcare organization. And that is that the doctors often are paid quite successfully, <laughs> you know, like, and so, you know, and then there's a lot of interesting discussion here. I won't dive into as far as, uh, you know, our doctors paid too much or not enough and, you know, the debt and liability, et cetera. Right. But at the end of the day, in many cases, doctors are getting paid enough. Would they like to get paid more sure of course right <laughs> like who wouldn't we all want that and so i think in many cases they don't invest in the rcm technology as much and so i don't think we're going to see the same hockey stick growth it isn't going to be interesting to watch the various uh, private equity that are buying them up and so will they invest in it and the health systems are buying it up so will they invest in it or are those just feeders to more profitable outlets like the surgery centers and and the acute care where you know they can make more money i, I don't know it'll be interesting to see how that plays out but i don't know i'm 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 at most linear growth sure we're going to see some automation of that and so we may actually see hockey stick growth for the automation piece of some of that but i think rcm in general i'm not buying that it we're looking hockey stick growth. <laughs> well, it's will be a fun one to track for us, John, over the next year. But um, I, I do agree in some sense that the doctors, you know, they haven't invested and they, they probably don't feel the need to because they're happy and content where they are. But I think hospitals are a totally different story. I think there they have such built-in cost structures and things and, uh, and that we're so dependent on some of these electives that I think heading into the next year, 
huge focus on revenue. Whether or not that translates into uh, rep cycle management, it's true. I think, I believe it will. You're saying it may not actually translate into hard dollars spent on adopting those technologies. But I think they, I think they're, I believe that that is coming. I think that is something that they have to do uh, in order to survive and do well uh, going forward. Yeah. Be fun to watch. It'd be good. So John, let's get into a couple of fun ones as we get close to the end of this episode. Uh, what do you think of this statement? Will we reach peak Zoom fatigue in healthcare by July 2021? I'm I'm so fatigued of Zoom that uh, <laughs> you're already there. I can't answer that. I don't know what a peak is like. Uh, you know, like, oh man, I hope so. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, if I'm hopeful we get 80% vaccination, I'm also hopeful we're past the Zoom fatigue. So, yeah, I'm taking it. Bye. <laughs> You're buying that one. I think uh, that we have already passed the point of peak Zoom fatigue, and now it's just turned into a dull ache that we all put up with. It's a plateau. Um, it's just come. It's back. just yeah. We're at sort of the plateau <laughs> stage. I think we reached peak Zoom fatigue in January of this year when we realized, oh my gosh, the calendar flipped, and we're still not together uh, in most cases. So um, yeah, I think you know. I think obviously for healthcare organizations, obviously they've been there and in person, but just healthcare in general, the whole ecosystem of health IT vendors and government agencies and so forth, we've all been doing this for so long now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm definitely buying this because I think we've already passed it. <laughs> yeah. Most health IT teams are still virtual as well. I mean, they can go in occasionally, but they're still virtual. Yeah. So and I, a- yep. Go ahead. How about another one? Healthcare companies and organizations will launch a thousand more podcasts by the end of 2021. <laughs> you know, you know what? I am actually going to buy this one because, you know, without the ability to go to conferences, without the ability to, uh, you know, get the word out there in with town halls and other types of things, that, you know, that in person. I think a lot of people are turning to podcasts. I have seen so many hospitals launch internal podcasts. I've read about companies starting up their own pod. Like just everyone seems to have gotten on the bandwagon of podcasting uh, yeah. during the pandemic because you couldn't do anything else and you're starting to build your own home studios like we have. So I'm definitely buying this one. I think there's going to be a ton of podcasts still being launched between now and the end of the See, I might've bought this one if it was 10,000. So I'm definitely buying it at 1,000. So yeah, absolutely. I think that's where we're headed. All right, one last one to, to wrap it up. This one's a fun one. Will we subscribe, this is you and me, to less than three streaming services by the end of the year? <laughs> streaming video. What do you think? Are we buying, are you having less than three? Yeah, no, I, I am selling this one because I'm definitely going to probably have three or more <laughs> by the end of the year. Uh, two reasons. One, uh, still haven't watched the entire catalog that we currently have of Disney Plus and, and Amazon. Uh, and, and the other libraries are just getting bigger and better. So it's kind of like, I look over at what people are watching on Netflix. I'm going, maybe I want some of that. So, so I think by the end of the year, we'll probably add another one rather than take one away. So for me, I'm definitely selling. I'm probably going to have more than this is a hard question for me because it really boils down to two things. Are my kids going to win or am I going to win? Because <laughs> if my kids win, we'll have six. And if I win, we'll have two. <laughs> so I'm going to sell it and say back myself and say, sorry, kids, which I, in some ways I enjoy. 
I enjoy <laughs> having them say, why don't we have that streaming service? And I say, it teaches you a good lesson. It's a life lesson. It's yeah, a life lesson. I like just, that, John. It's all about the kids. I'm, you know, I'm there for the kids. <laughs> you're betting, you're betting on yourself. In other words, what you're saying. I like it. I like it. This is a scary thing. My kids are compelling. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, thanks to all of you who tuned into this episode of Healthcare IT Today. You can find out more details about our show by checking out our programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on Twitter using the hashtag HIT. I'm Colin Hung with my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lee. Thanks for listening.